We used to do this, what was it? Celebrities talking in cars with coffee or celebrities over coffee. And now we're just over the web with coffee. And that's good. That's right. That's right. Very good. <laughs> well, listen, folks, with me today is Rachel R.J. McMillan, author of fast-paced, suspenseful thriller series set on the west coast of British Columbia, where she probably knows that terrain very, very well. I understand being on a boat and sailing that area for about 30 years. Rachel R.J. McMillan of the West Coast environment up there in Western Canada and the people who live there form a vivid and authentic setting for her Dan Connor mystery series. How are you, Rachel? I am just great, thanks, Ron. It's good to be talking to you. It has been some time. We usually spend time together down in, uh, down in Mexico, and I understand that's where you are now. I am indeed down here in Mexico, staying away from the cold weather up north. Good for you. Probably a good choice. And uh, I guess due to pandemic, people are nicely ensconced and hunkering down there. Yes, for the most part, for the most part. There's a little bit of, of travel in and out, but um, I was recently in Puerto Vallarta and they have some tourists, um, but not a lot, nothing like previously. Not like it ever used to was, that's for sure. So I was looking at your bio, Rachel, and I know you go by pen name as R.J. McMillan. So how would you like me to address you, Rachel, R.J.? What are we calling you for our listeners today? Probably, probably R.J. <laughs> okay, R.J., so it is. So R.J. McMillan, who actually has an interesting history, don't you, R.J.? You were born in, what, you were born in uh, England? Born in England? Yes, born in England in Newcastle, way up north near the, the border with Scotland. Okay. And then you were raised, however, in Australia. I was. I, uh, I went to Australia when I was six. I can actually set the date because we were one day out from, from England when uh, this announcement came over the radio. It was one of those huge radios that, you know, stand about four feet tall. And uh, this announcement came over in a terribly serious voice saying, long live the queen, the king is dead. <laughs> so 1952. <laughs> Wow, interesting. And then you actually spent quite a few years then in Australia. But my understanding is that your life wound around a bit, a few more twists and turns before you got up into Western Canada. Were you spending some time in Greece before settling in Canada? Is then is is that the story? I did. Yeah, I um I went to I grew up in Australia from the time I was six, and I went to a uh, school uh, university in uh, in Australia. And then when I graduated, I was offered this amazing job uh, teaching English to uh, immigrants coming to Australia. And so I was on what was a cruise ship then. It was nothing like the cruise ships we see today, but uh, I was on a cruise ship teaching English to um, Greek immigrants. And I did that for almost two years before the government of Australia realized that, you know, we were having an awfully good time and not doing very much in the way of teaching English. And uh, so they terminated that whole program. But meanwhile, I had friends that I had met in Greece and they offered me a job teaching English uh, in Athens. So I spent three years uh, in Greece teaching English. Wow. And then by some end of that time period, you've ended up making the choice to go up to British Columbia, Canada. And you've spent quite a few times. I mean, literally, was it 30 years on a boat sailing the coast? It was. Um, actually, it was funny. I, what happened after I finished work in Greece was I, um, I went back to Australia and got uh, a job teaching uh, in a primary school in Darwin. 
And uh, I, that was around September. And of course, in Australia, the school year doesn't start until February. So I went up to Darwin and I had to find some way to keep body and soul together until February rolled around. And I got a job as a cook on a mission boat. And um, I couldn't cook. <laughs> I think I could cook one soup. But anyway, um, and uh, because we went back and forth from the Darwin Wharf, I happened to meet, uh, to meet a guy and a Canadian man who was working on the wharf. And from there, um, we went on a 10-month overseas trip that sort of took us as far as we could go before he had to return to work. And um, so I, we ended up back in British Columbia which was the start of my time in Canada. And of course I sailed a lot. And uh, we started out with a small sailboat and graduated to a larger one and a larger one as, as it happens. And so we spent 30 some odd years cruising up and down the West Coast. So you certainly know that terrain and that area, the people, the cultures, and somehow you evolved then into the author writer of mystery of the Dan Connor series that I guess mostly is targeted around that region. Your four books in the Dan Connor series, Dark Moon Walking, Black Tide Rising, Green River Falling and Gray Sea Running all in the Dan Connor series. So it's interesting. How did you choose mystery? And tell us about the evolution of the primary character, Dan Connor, as kind of your lead franchise. Well, it was uh, partly serendipitous and partly um, intentional. I've always loved mystery, you know, and I've always written. I've, I've written magazine articles and newspaper articles and all kinds of things. But with the, with the time on the coast, my husband um, was uh, an engineer who worked uh, in a community, a small, a small city in the interior of British Columbia. And that, uh, there was a company there, a forest products company called Weyerhaeuser. And they actually had the Canadian head office there. They had two pulp mills, they had sawmills, all kinds of things. And um, they didn't have a single native Canadian person working for them, even though there was a fairly large reserve in the area. And meanwhile, I got a job um, working, uh, installing computers and, and training people on that. And uh, many of the jobs were actually in First Nations, as we call them in Canada, native communities. And uh, I found them, you know, the people I met there to be absolutely delightful, to be smart, to be quick, to be um, very friendly, very outgoing, very warm. And yet, our co-workers were all, all had very negative opinions. And then with the sailing that we did on the coast, so we, we kept our big sailboat uh, down on the coast, we would go into many, many native communities because the, the British Columbia coast is, is an interesting place. It's about a thousand miles between Vancouver on the border with uh, Seattle, with, with Washington state. And um, in between, there is a whole bunch of inlets, et cetera, but there is no road access, absolutely none. The coast mountains run up and down there and it, you can get there by boat, you can get there by plane, but that's it. So we would go up and down and of course we would stop at many of these native communities. And the, the juxtaposition between the perception of basically white folks uh, in the town, the city we worked in, and the reality that we were finding uh, with the native folks and getting to know them and the culture started to really work on me. And I thought, you know, how can I do 
something, anything to help um, my potential readers, who were obviously going to be mostly white, to get a better understanding, a better sympathy, empathy with these people. And I knew the only way to do it, uh, you know, I, I'd gone back to college and I had my adult education degree. And um, I thought, well, you know, you can't pe beat people over the head to change their perceptions, to change their beliefs, but you can show them. And so I thought, okay, mystery. Mystery is a fast read, generally speaking. It's, it's uh, exciting, it keeps people involved. And it gave me the opportunity to create uh, two characters, both Dan Connor as, as a detective and uh, Walker, who is a native person, who I can place in such a position in these books that people get to understand exactly what that culture is and, and the relationships that go on. And um, then very fortunately, the first book found a publisher and the contract has always said that both Dan and Walker must be in every book. So Dan Connor and Walker, were they based around anybody in your own, you know, your circles, your life experience, anybody that you actually knew or was this complete, you know, how did those two personas uh, evolve for you or uh, when oh. you actually coined them? Um, that's an interesting question. I, no, they weren't based, I mean, I, every, I think every particular situation, every particular character is made up of, in any book, is made up of people you have known, you know, some of the personalities, some of the idiosyncrasies, etc., and certainly some of the background knowledge. And so I needed somebody for the main character, which is obviously Dan Connor, who was familiar with the ocean. So Connor has in fact grown up the son of a fisherman who is open to other peoples and, and, and meeting other people, but it is, is pretty good on his own. And so I did have some friends who were in the um, police force and um, one of whom had been under, undercover. Uh, another had spent many years working in native communities up north and uh, I used them as reference and sort of built from there. And the same was true with Walker. I mean, he's, he's a mix of the various native people that I have met. So originally then, being as these two original characters were certainly part of your own creation and, and we will say part of your stories, part of your franchise, your original contract with Touchwood, when they came along and, and you've got your manuscripts to them or they came upon you, and they required that both Dan Connor and Walker were going to be present in every book of what was then your ongoing relationship with them to create a, a series. They've become fairly substantially well-known as characters, and the books are very well-read. Uh, they seem to have been. I've had several suggestions from a variety of people that uh, they might make them into uh, a TV series in Canada. Um, nothing's come of that as of yet, but it would be interesting to, to do that there. Um, I guess that there's a lot of action in the books and there's a very vivid setting. And there used to be many years ago, um, a series set on the West Coast, Molly's Reach, I think it was called. And um, th this would be somewhat similar if it went that route. But uh, who knows? We'll see. I, I, I'm enjoying writing them. So if it's, if it's just... <laughs> That's fine. Well, that's great. And then just because you already have so many out for in the franchise with a fifth one coming out, I guess you have a fifth one coming up as well? I do. Uh, that's about you know, three quarters finished now. And I've still got to do the 
the second the second edit. But yes, it should be out probably the middle of next year. Okay, and that one is in the same franchise again, the Dan Connor mystery series. Yes, that that one is going to be called Pale Mist Drifting, and uh, it's part of the series. It's number five in the series. Okay, so how often are you cranking these out? <laughs> Well, the first one came out uh, 2013. Uh, the second was, I believe, 14. And then there was a jump to 16 and about every two years now, roughly. Interesting. So is that a comfortable timeline for you every two years as far as your deliverables when they say we need the next one from you? Basically, yes. I mean, the first one that was less than, less than two years, but uh, it took a lot of time. And I'm currently writing. I like to write two books at a time, which sounds odd. But um, what I find that does is I can work on the first draft of one, and then that gives me time to get distance from the, the one I wrote previously. So uh, otherwise, you can't go back and do an objective edit. Um, right now, I'm also, well, starting to do the, the uh, second edit on a literary novels of a completely different genre. So that won't come out until late next year or maybe even early the year after. Right. And that one, which is not related to the Dan Connor series is mystery is a completely different genre. Like you mentioned, it's a literary novel. It's the mm -hmm. color of love, a vastly different kind of book, isn't it? Absolutely. Very, very different kind of book. It's, it's a very matter of fact book in some ways, but it's in part a, um, oh, something about finding yourself. I suppose it's a young man um, who, has had a very, very difficult upbringing by a very cold and removed um, grandparent, actually. And uh, he has gone in search of himself, I suppose, by joining the military and he ends up in Afghanistan, realizes he's made an absolutely terrible mistake, um, but he's stuck there, obviously. And um, at one point he comes across this little boy who is orphaned by the war and tries to take him back to Canada with him and learns sort of along the way, I guess, I'm sort of giving away a lot about the plot here, but he learns along the way that, that you know, love comes in many forms. It sounds like that would be a very robust global art house indie coming of age film or a motion picture in, in so many ways. I mean, it seems like it would have very, you know, deep, vivid imagery to it. I, I hope so. I mean, I was fortunate when I, when I came up with the concept and, you, you know, people come up with, writers come up with these concepts from all kinds of sources, reading magazines, reading newspapers, listening to newscasts, you know, watching television, whatever. And so the pieces sort of all came together for this. And very fortunately, when I first met my husband in Australia and we did the, the uh, traveling, we, we traveled from Australia to Germany as much overland as we could. And we went through Afghanistan. Now, this was a long time ago. And at the time, Afghanistan was in one of its very rare times of peace. And so I had the physical geographical background for the country, um, which made it much easier. And I have several friends who have served there. So again, you know, it was sort of serendipitous that I had that background.
And so then you were able to draw on it. And for the first time, well, you've written a lot. I know back in your history, you've written quite a bit of everything. You even had weekly newspaper columns in uh, entertainment or various magazine articles, poems, etc. But considering the franchise that you've created in Dan Connor and the mystery genre, that series, this is an interesting departure for you. But it still sounds like it still has a lot of rich, dramatic human compassion to it and maybe kind of a sense of mystery in that you've got the evolution between two characters, a soldier and an orphan child. And I'm just imagining what could evolve from that. I think, I think, you know, in my background, I have always had a lot of empathy with people who in trouble, who are dismissed, whatever. Um, and so that theme, if, if you will, or that tone runs through pretty well everything I've written. Uh, it certainly applies here. Uh, obviously, it's a very different plot. It's a, it's a very different style of writing, in fact. But that background interest in relationships and, and personal growth, etc., carries through that and, and hopefully will carry through anything else I write. I would think so. Do you find the mechanics of writing, because you've kind of gotten it down by now with the five in the mystery genre, still apply by the time you're approaching or getting into the production, if you will, of writing something new? The mechanics are relatively the same as far as just applying yourself as a writer, aren't they? There's a lot of similarities. I mean, every, every book has a certain pattern. Um, you use different styles, I guess. You use, in, in usually in, in mystery and certainly in mine, um, there is, it's heavier on dialogue, which, which, you know, dialogue speeds things up. Um, but in terms of the actual pattern of writing, yes. I mean, writing is writing. It, the whole point is to not only communicate with your reader, but also allow them to step into the story. And so, you know, you have to write it in such a way that you invite them in. Now, your relationship with Touchwood Editions, the Canadian publisher, is it still nicely ensconced and you're still delivering your work and your, your books through them? Or is this particular upcoming book, the new one, going to be with a different publisher because it's of a different ilk? a different? You know? it, it will be with a different publisher. I don't know who yet. Um, I may even self-publish, but uh, Touchwood does not publish literary uh, novels. And, uh, you know, they have a, a, a limited, they're a small publisher, they have a, a limited um, group of, of styles that they take on. So I don't know, I'm, I may even look for, for an agent for this one. I did not have an agent uh, with Touchwood, but um, I may look for an agent with this one. Okay, well, this is content for discussion here. So how did, how did Touchwood, with their limited select genres, come after you? And how do you, as a mystery writer, how did you find them if you didn't have somebody bridging it, that relationship and that introduction in the middle? That is one of, <laughs> of those, again, serendipitous things that um, I find keep happening. Uh, I actually have a friend who writes uh, historical um, novels. Well, some novels and some actual history. Uh, and she had a new book out and that was published by Touchwood. And so she was having uh, basically a, a launch party um, down in Victoria, British Columbia. And she invited me to go. And of course, because she had been published by Touchwood, uh, the people there were at this launch party. And so she introduced me to the, uh, the director of Touchwood, and we just got chatting over coffee or a glass of wine, actually, I think it was. And um, she said, so what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm writing too, you know, and I have this. And she asked about the book and I told her and she said, can you send me the manuscript? And I said, sure. 
And I did. And she came back with a contract. And is this an evergreen relationship at this point? In other words, did they say, okay, of the Dan Connor series, we love it. It's a mystery thing. Dan Connor, Walker have to be in it each and every time. What'd they do? Tell you, you have to come up with like, what, 21 books or the, over the course no, of a they, period of time? There was three. The original contract called for three. And uh, we've just gone on from there. So it's just evergreen and you keep writing and they keep publishing and, and there you go. Now, what happens if this really does become a Canadian television series or it moves to a pilot, goes to motion picture? Do they maintain their interests in it? Or are they acting as the agent then if it goes to any other media? Uh, yes, at the moment, because of the type of contract and because of my complete lack of knowledge about anything to do with TV or film or anything like that, they have the, the rights. And so they would, they would be the one who would be in contact and they would be the one who would do the dealing. Although at some point, obviously, they bring the author back in and the author has the right of refusal, etc. But they're the ones that would make the initial contact. Well, I would think that, you know, certainly Vancouver, which has become over the past number of decades known as rather Hollywood Northwest, so much of the Hollywood machinery and the production is done up there in, in Vancouver, it would seem to me that there's probably a lot of production interest to be able to get new content in there. With the number of sort of general inquiries I've received, the, the amount of interest I've received from various sources, I suspect that's true. I don't know when, but yes, I would guess that's probably true. Do you want to, for the fans that are and your readers that may be tuning in right about now, do you want to give us any drop hints on what's going to be happening in book number five for Dan Connor and Walker that might be a little bit of a, not a spoiler, but you want to drop any seeds of inspiration for people to jump on the path and go pick up the book? <laughs> sure. Um, it's, it's straying off the path a little in that uh, one of the characters that's been consistent in the series, uh, not by contract, but simply just because, is Claire. And Claire is uh, Dan's partner. He lost his first wife, um, which was an important part of the, the first book. And uh, then he met up, also in that first book, later on, he met up with this woman, Claire, who is, uh, she does research on the coast. And so in all the other books, Claire has been there researching sea otters. That's what she does. And um, so this particular book, Claire is going to get an invitation to go to Australia. And there she is going to research dugongs, which are related to manatees. And so the book goes back and forth a little between Australia and Canada. And uh, in fact, Dan Connor will spend a short period of time, relatively speaking, in Australia, because a crime that happens there is going to be related to the crime that he is handling back uh, in Canada. So because you've got a lot of multicultural impressions and influences going on here, and I know part of your mission in the first place was to bring out the rewards and the enrich the richness of the Native community. What has been the reaction in the Native community so far to these books, as far as how they're, what they feel about it, and given how you research their, their truths? Certainly the obviousness of the sailing and your culture is very apparent because you've been on the water for such a long time as, as, a, as you know, with your maritime interests as well. But tell, tell me a little bit about the Native community and their response to your series. Actually, that has been possibly one of the most rewarding things. There's two, two things that stand out as, as, you know, the, as very rewarding in this book, other than this basic success of it. And the first thing is that that reaction of the Native community has been so positive. I've been invited to speak numerous times in Native communities 
I was invited back to Haida Gwaii four separate times. Um, I had the first, the first time I went up there to, to attend a reading, one of the gentlemen in the audience who was a Haida man stood up and said to the whole audience, this woman gets it. And it was interesting because, you know, it's been a time when there's a lot of concern about appropriation and about people writing about other cultures. And uh, I have had absolutely total acceptance of this. Mind you, I'm very careful that where I do have some knowledge about various events and things that are kept private within the group, I don't mention them. So whatever I speak about in terms of the culture is already out in the public venue. So you do keep the element of integrity involved at all times. I do, and I have had right from the very first book, a native advisor who, who lives in the community that I'm writing about and that can go through the book and say, yes, that's exactly right, or no, that's wrong, and you should change it. Well, folks, this has been R.J. McMillan, author of the Dan Connor series in Mystery, Dark Moon Walking, Black Tide Rising, Green River Falling, Gray Sea Running, and a fifth one, Pale Mist Drifting, coming out early next year. And while we can all say we don't know what brick-and-mortar bookstores are carrying the books, but that's the nature of brick-and-mortar today anyway, rather, shall we say, disappearing, they are available all online, your usual suspects, and of course on Amazon, both as in-print and ebook editions. Rachel, R.J. McMillan, thanks for your time with us today. Do you have anything else you want to kind of leave us with? Do you have a website where readers, fans, listeners can come visit, get to know you better, or maybe take a look at some of your books directly? I certainly do. It's just rjmcmillan.com and Macmillan is spelt the Irish way so it's M-C-M-I-L-L-E-N not A-N um, and they can contact me directly through there. And I understand that from time to time you might even do a little bit of teaching if somebody needs to little have a, a little coaching or inspiration from you. I do indeed. Excellent. Well, there you go, folks. It's been R.J. McMillan today right here with Ron Knight on the Writer's Block. Rachel, thank you so much, R.J., for your time today, and we look forward to catching up with you later on down the line. Thanks so much, Ron. It's been a delight. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.